Jesus left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. Because salvation is from the Jews, but an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Just then his disciples arrived, and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town, and told the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, Could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already re receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you don't labor for, others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. And let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. As pastors, we've been gathering together quite regularly through social media, email, coffee, whatnot, trying to figure out 
how to be pastors right now. And one thing that was shared regularly by many of us was a quote from Martin Luther about responding to plague. The plague had gone through Wittenberg, actually taken his daughter's life. And Luther writes this in his, whether one may flee from a deadly plague, he wrote this in 1527. I shall ask God mercifully to protect us. Then I shall fumigate, help purify the air, administer medicine and take it. I shall avoid places and persons where my presence is not needed in order to not become contaminated and thus perchance inflict and pollute others and so cause their death as a result of my negligence. If God should wish to take me, he will surely find me and I have done what he has expected of me and so I am not responsible for either my own death or the death of others. If my neighbor needs me, however, I shall not avoid place or person, but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. Because you see, church, fear is the opposite of faith. And the crazy thing for us is that in our lives, because we are sinners and saints both at the same time, in our understanding of our Lutheran identity. We have this war between us, between the holy and the sinner. With that comes this war between fear and faith. Fear being the opposite of trust. Fear becoming the driving force behind anxiety. Fear becomes the breeding ground for hysteria. And fear can grip the sinner like a vice because it comes to us in a reminder that we are not king of the castle. Today's world is, shall we say, overwhelmed by fear to the point that we think we're going to run out of toilet paper. I don't know, I haven't stocked up yet. I haven't gone to look. But we're afraid of the unknown. We're afraid of time running out. We're afraid because every single moment of the day, it seems like things change. And yet Martin Luther comes here with some good words of wisdom. It's in this writing that he actually talks about, as Christians, we are imitators of Christ. And so therefore, we're supposed to imitate him as he says to us as being the great shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So there's this place for us as people of faith to give of ourselves, to lay down our lives at times when needed. Christians are the ones who have been known to stick behind when all hell breaks loose. The majority of hospitals around the world, guess who started them? Christians. The Roman Empire was angry at Christians during plagues in the second and third century because they'd actually take care of the sick, whereas the Romans would just abandon them to let them die. It becomes for us as Christians to be ones so overwhelmed by the promises of God dwelling richly in us in the presence of fear and lostness that we stand up as people different. The church having the foundation of the gospel, having this foundation of the gospel that tells us that death does not have the final word. That our mortal flesh is not the deciding factor of who we are. It stands in absolute stark difference between what the world wants to say of who we are. And we face today with our, our reading where we discover that there was a need for a preacher and the preacher felt the need. 
you notice, I actually read an extra verse. It was supposed to go from verse 4, but I went back to verse 3 because that's the verse that says Jesus had need of going to, Jerusalem, to Samaria. He had necessity. He had to go there because someone needed a preacher. Someone needed to hear of the promise. And so Christ goes. He goes to Samaria. Samaria was the former, basically the part of the former northern tribes of Israel. And Samaritans were seen as unclean, half-breeds, idolaters. There were those that were left behind after the Assyrian Empire came through and, and, and wiped out so many of the Israelites in the northern tribes, took them into exile. And then those that stayed behind intermarried, and the Jewish folks in Judea saw them as nothing better than dogs. And Christ said, there's need for me to go there because those are people in need of the promise. Because the promise still existed for them there because if you notice, where did he meet her but at Jacob's well? And who is part of the promise that we are given in the scriptures but this God who speaks to us, who tells us, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Christ goes outside of the walls, so to speak, outside of the walls of what was, what was seen as the land of the promise in, 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 in Judea, in, in, in Jerusalem. And he says, I'm going to go outside to the people that aren't necessarily allowed in to let them know of the importance of the promise. In those days, the ones that would be outside the city were the lepers, the diseased, the outcasts, the unwanted and so he meets the woman. So many commentators enjoy talking about this woman as though she's a small-town lady who's gossiped about at the coffee shop. Some would say she was a, uh, shall we say, a lady of the evening that was not loved. Some would say she was a quarrelsome woman, which is why she was married five times and it failed five times. But Caroline Lewis, professor at Luther, actually said the reality is this, what she was was probably barren, unable to have children, and the world would have seen her as broken. So much so that they saw her as cursed, so that she had to go to that well at noon, which was completely out of the ordinary, because you would get up in the morning, and you would go and you'd get water for the day, and then you'd go back in the evening to get water for the evening. But she's going there at a time when no one else would be there. And there was a need for Jesus to be there for her. Because she was thirsty for something. She thought it was water. But she needed something else. And so they meet at that well. This well and water being signs of life, being signs of need for something other than what our life can give us. Realizing that, that we live by things outside of us. Water and food, daily bread, needing those things. So Christ meets her at the well and he speaks to this dehydrated soul of water that is more than just water from Jacob's well. And then finally he does something that he doesn't do very often in the Gospels. He announces himself as who he is. If you heard it, she says, well, when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. And he says, I, the one who am speaking to you, am he. She was one of the first ones to hear that for him to speak and tell her of who he is, of that promise, of this one who has come to bring eternal life, to bring this, this spring that wells up within us. 
The church is known for going to the places of the dead to bring life. I think of St. Francis, who did ministry with lepers. I think of Father Damien of Molokai, who contracted the disease of leprosy while taking care of lepers, those who were left behind. I think of my wife having spent 16 years as a NICU nurse, taking care of those little babies and trying to teach moms that skin-to-skin contact is important for the healing process, realizing that the presence of people in and amongst the hurting is necessary for life to come. I think of patients right now who are in isolation, and my heart breaks because they want their family and their friends and are in need of that. Well, church, we have one last message from this gospel, and it's with Jesus and his disciples. Because he's talking about the harvest. He says, look around. I've been doing my work here. Look around. The harvest is ready. Somewhere else he tells us, but the workers are few. Church, we're given a message. We're given the story of life out of death. We're given the story of resurrection. And there are people awaiting that story right now who are walking in fear, who are scared of what may come over the next few weeks. And it is our calling as those who have been captured by Christ, who are walking through Lent, who are making our way to Calvary and then Resurrection Sunday, to be able to tell that story to people because they need the promise and you need to hear it too. That 2,000 years ago on a hill outside Jerusalem, Jesus Christ was given to die for you and for his sake. God forgives you all your sin and gives you life everlasting because he rose again after three days. We have that promise that we are supposed to go out and give that people need to hear. A promise of life. A promise of security. A promise of even certainty right now in an uncertain world of faith. And so I leave that with you this morning. For yourselves, but I also charge you as disciples in Christ to go out and speak that to others. Thanks be to God. Amen.